This podcast is brain powered by the University of Sydney. We are controlling transmission. Sleep Geeks, Dr. Carl, and Adam Spencer. You're with the Sleep Geeks, Adam Spencer, and what's your name? Uh, the young, lovely Carl Krasinski. Let's just call you Carl, and it's our podcast. For the Sleek Geeks, very excited this week. We have a special guest here who does stuff with stuff that's quite amazing, and we're going to explain it in even more detail. Professor Susan Clark from the Garvin Institute joins us. How are you, Susan? I'm wonderful. Thank you, Adam. Now, let, you're going to, I'm going to get you to walk us through our research, work on the fairly safe assumption that I am an idiot, okay? Start from the beginning. Cells, A, T, C, and G, DNA. I vaguely understand that. Run me through DNA 101 again. Okay, so every cell, as we know, has DNA. Uh, and there are three billion base pairs of DNA in each cell. Mm-hmm. And if you were to stretch out the DNA, that would be two metres of DNA. Every, every cell in my body's got two metres of DNA, and what role do A, T, C and G play in my DNA? So you've only got four bases, one A, one C, one G and one T, and it's the combination of those base pairs in three billion uh, pieces, it's the combination of those four base pairs that determines uh, the genetic material, the blueprint of life. Uh, would it be fair to say that it looks like a ladder, a two-metre-long ladder with three billion rungs? Yes. Yeah, so uh, you've seen pictures of a double helix, mm-hmm. and that's based on the DNA. You have two strands of DNA, and they're coiled around to get this beautiful structure of a double helix. And so each rung can be called A, T, C or G? Yes, they're, they're the, the four choices. Yes, that's right. The English language has got 26 letters. The DNA has got, alphabet has got four letters. As we thought, it had four letters. <laughs> four, but right. Yeah. We'll get see. there. We'll get there. So, but yeah. every every cell in my body, does every cell in my body have the same combination A, T, C and G in it? It does. And you've inherited that combination from your mother and father. Mm-hmm. So every cell in your body has Adam's DNA sequence and every cell in your body has Carl's DNA Except sequence. Except for the red blood cells and the bacteria in our gut. Let's forget about that. We will forget about it. We're talking about inside your nucleus. Gotcha. And, 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 and there's the whole thing about as the cells reproduce, sometimes those A, T, Cs and Gs don't copy perfectly because there's just so many of them and that's when things can go a little bit loopy. Exactly. So if you can imagine, if your cell divides every day, Mm. you have to faithfully maintain those three billion sequences. And I've got so much other stuff to do. I'm a busy person. Instagram, Twitter. And it takes three to six hours for a cell to divide. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So if you can imagine trying to faithfully maintain without a mistake. So mistakes happen. We know that. Because you're maintaining billions of individual things that need to be reproduced over the six-hour time frame over billions and billions of cells. That's right. Yes. The ladder has to be split in half and each one of those three billion has to be copied. Has to be over, copied. Over that three to six hour. I never knew that. It's wow. Six hour. Yes. Right. And it has, wow. And so you can imagine mistakes. there's mistakes because we're yeah. humans, we're mistakes. However, we have a wonderful repair system and so that means that most of the mistakes are mocked up and ah. repaired. Okay, so let me ask you this. If, mm-hmm. if, if the ATCG pattern is the same in every one of my cells, how can one of my cells be a skin cell? How can one of them be part of my heart? How can one of them be part of my liver? 
when they're exactly the same? What makes them different in that sense? That's yeah. a very good question. I love it when people say, I love it when people say, very good question. you can come back anytime you want. You have great insight, Grasshopper. What is it? What is it that makes cells different if the ATC and G are all the same? So this is at the heart of our research, is that now we know that one of the bases, the C, which is cytosine, Mm -hmm. can be methylated, and it's called the fifth base. So it provides extra information to the ACD, the four bases, and it's the extra information, the methylated cytosine, that determines whether your cell's going to be a skin cell or a breast cell a prostate cell. So, so in each cell, the A, T, C and G is the same, but if I consider some of my Cs to be sort of C asterisks because yes. they're methylated, mm-hmm. in different cells, the Cs and the C asterisks might be sort of changed around. So the A, T, C and G doesn't change, but some of the Cs are different in each cell or in a different order. Is that what you're saying? That's right. So what I'm oh. saying is that oh. the C asterisk, if you like to yeah. put it, has a different pattern in each of your different cell types. Ah. So during differentiation, when you're just a little embryo, it then, as you develop, your cell types then get their specific cell type signature. So so the blueprint is the same, but there's a little bit added. Is it literally a methyl group, just CHE? Is Is it just the stuff that comes out of your gas stove, CH3, CH4? CH3. CH3 is that one methyl group that's added on to the fifth base of the cytosine ring. So the blueprint is the same. There's just a little bit added. Nothing's taken away. It's just a little bit added. it's added during development. In terms of that, so in terms of the most different sort of cells I might have, I don't know if it's a skin cell as far away as you can get from a liver cell or whatever, how different are they? What percentage of the Cs ah. are different? Does that question make sense? Yes, yeah. it does. So we have 28 million Cs that can be methylated. That's out of the 3 billion all told I've got in there. Billion, okay, that's yep. right. And in any cell type, 60 to 80% are methylated. So there'll only be about 20% difference between each cell type, but that's really important. And it's where I choose, it's the order in which I put those... That's right. S- 60 to 80% of the C asterisks that affects what's going on. Indeed. Wow. How 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 far... Because we, the whole ATCG thing, that's Watson and Crick back in the 1950s and 60s, yes. Nobel Prize for Medicine. We're, we're reasonably down that path. Yes. Is this whole methyl thing completely new or how long have we had a vague idea of what you're talking about now? Okay, so we have known since the early 60s the DNA can be methylated. Ah. But what we haven't known is the actual sequence of the individual sequence of that methylation. So methylation occurs ah. in bacteria. Mm-hmm. That's what we've known for a long, long time. Uh, but it occurs in all mammals as well. And what we haven't known is the order of the C asterisks and how many there are yeah. and what cha- what the particular order means in terms of what sort of cell you get. That's right. And that's because we've never had the technology until recently to be able to determine when we sequence the DNA, sequence the order of the four bases, whether it's methylated or not. So we've always lost that information. Tell us about the technology, because Carl and I, I, Mm. we love gadgets. Yes. Right, real, really simply, this little methylation machine thing, what does it do? How does it work out what what the order and the sequence of the methylation? Okay. So um, 
when you... Just in case I want to go home and build one myself or something, right? Yeah. Like, so it's based on chemistry, really. Mm-hmm. So when we sequence the DNA, it's, it's beautiful chemistry and it can determine... Um, You've probably seen a gel where you can see these lights colouring up and it can determine whether it's a A, a C, a T or a G. Mm -hmm. And as I said, if it's methylated, it can't tell the difference. So we do a trick. So before we sequence the DNA, we incubate the DNA um, with a chemical that can distinguish between a C and a methylated C. Right. And it converts the C to a U, a different code. Uracil. Uracil. And so now when we sequence, the asterisk C, the methylated C, stays as a C. So now we have an A, a C, which was the methylated C, mm-hmm. a U and a G. And so when we do the sequence, we can then deconvolute, we can look at the order and any C that's remaining after this chemical treatment we know has come from a methylated C. Wow. So it's changed the paradigm of how we can get extra information from the genomic sequence. Uh, so are you saying that people who think, look, I understand DNA, you've got A, T, C and G, these are the four building blocks. That's right. Are you saying there's really five building blocks, A, T, G, C and the other C, methyl C? That's right. And it's because this other C provides extra information, which is why we call it the fifth base. Wow. Is it is it controversial to make the statement there are actually five bases instead of four or are people pretty much, you guys agree with that and we're yet to catch up? Yeah, I think so. The the field certainly now that we have this technology that we can determine the methylation map that we call the methylome. Hang on. on. The methylome. How how long before this goes into the cryptic crossword and then the quick crossword, I can only do the quick barely, Adam can do the cryptic. So that's going to be a clue. Methylome, like genome. Genome, methylome. Proteome. Biome, microbiome. And the methylome is yet another story. It's a package of information that determines what a cell type is. The kids will be saying it any day now. They will. So firstly, it tells us, knowing that we can now say, okay, that is what's associated with the individual cell then turning into a whole bunch of liver, kidney, heart cells, does it have any diagnostic disease significance? Yes. So in our understanding of how the methylome um, changes during development, Mm -hmm. we have a wonderful picture of that. But in doing that, we started to think, does it change during disease? Mm -hmm. Change during disease. Mm -hmm. Because we know that during disease gene expression changes. Different genes are turned on and turned off in cancer. Mm-hmm. So we and others in the field have been looking at mapping cancer methylomes to determine whether there is a difference in the methylation pattern of a cancer cell. Oh, well, it, mapping it. If the, if the, so if the C asterisks are in different places, places when a cell becomes cancerous. Indeed. And what did you find? And what did we find? So this was really very exciting. Oh, good, because if you're about to say we haven't found anything, then we've probably rushed, gone a bit early getting you on the show. What have you found? What have we found? So what we've found is that there's very different patterns of methylation in cancer. Wow. And in particular, cancer is just not one disease. So we've done this research now in breast cancer, Mm -hmm. and that's a disease with distinct subtypes. Yep. 
And we know that. And some of those distinct subtypes are associated with genetic changes that we talked about, but 70% aren't. And so we were interested in the cancers where there's uh, no clear genetic basis. Mm -hmm. So we mapped the methylomes of these cancers and we found that there were methylation patterns that were associated with particular subtypes of breast cancer. So once you drill down into the different types of breast cancer, the C asterisks match up. Different C asterisk patterns correspond with different types of breast cancer. Breast cancer. Wow. So it's like doing an archival dig and finding a particular cell. Yeah. And then the methylation pattern can tell you not just what type of normal cell it is, it can also tell you what sort of cancer it is. Or, or it's, like, it's like being able to look at different cars on the street and go, okay, that's a Holden, that's a Ford. But then within different types of Holdens, you can look at the lights and the doors and go, well, that's a particular type of Holden, that's a Commodore. Then within that, you can go, ah, yeah, but look at those lights. This is a 1986 S-type. So you're breaking down, is that not within the yes. subsets of subsets? It's so wonderful if you... Think again of the number of potential sites, 28 million, and we're looking at patterns. So it's our mathematicians that take... Yeah, mathematicians. Told you. They take these incredibly large, complicated data sets and they look for patterns associated with different disease types. And it's like Christmas lights on a tree where you'll have a different patch of lights that might be associated with a, a... you know, a particular type of tree. Yeah. And so it's it's really a beautiful signature that we've yeah. been able to decipher. And because and this is part of a bigger pattern, isn't it? In, in general, in cancer research, we're starting to realise it's not the case that there is, say, prostate cancer. There's something like 19 is the number that springs to mind different types of prostate cancer they think they've found. And that's going to, that will, that starts to explain, doesn't it, why two people who look exactly the same, same health, same weight, same age, same lifestyle, present with what looks like the same prostate cancer, go on the same treatment. Uh-huh. Six months later, one of them's running around and the other one's dead. Yeah, one responds, one does not. In, 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 in the future, we're going to say, look, you're going to be all right because you've got breast cancer type 3F mm. and you've got certain genes, you'll be all right. And someone else, look, I'm really sorry, you've got 3G. Mm. We're getting into that sort of detail of subspecies of cancers. So this particular work that we've been looking at is looking at a type of breast cancer that is very difficult to treat. And so these are breast cancers that are oestrogen negative. So these ladies can't go on to moxifen. Yep. They're her two negative, so they can't go on to her septum, ah. and the progesterone negative. And so we were looking at a way of being able to stratify this class called triple negative breast cancer. Stratify means break into different groups? Into distinct groups. And by using the methylation pattern, the methylation mapping, we've been able to find uh, a potential signature that divides women into either an aggressive type of triple negative breast cancer or one with a better survival. Right. So firstly, you can classify the cancers because many people think that there's just this thing called cancer. Cancer. Whereas in fact, there's, last I heard there was about a thousand different tribes, even with their own treatment. Then secondly, you're saying you can go down and then depending on the sort of cancer, try to work out the treatment that works on that. Now, let me hit you with something out of left field. 
Can you reverse the methylation? Mm. Ah. Can you take the methylation off and turn it back into a normal breast cancer cell? So you're saying when you've got when you've got a cell where the C asterisks have been put in a place that's not great, yeah. can you move them around back into the order where everything used to be nice yeah. and fresh and hunky dory? Can you do that, Susan? So that's the holy grail. Okay, is, is that the holy grail? It's a holy grail. So certainly, it's very difficult to change a genetic mistake. Yeah. But with methylation, it is reversible. Okay, so it's difficult to change the ladder of life, you know, the ATCs yes. and Gs, but if there's a methyl group hanging off it, maybe you can pull it off. And so instead of having to give them all sorts of horrible drugs that make their hair fall out and make them vomit, you just simply give them a drug that snips the methyl groups off the ladder of life, off the seas. So that is oh the Oh, my God. I've never come across the now, concept. I'll this tell is brilliant. You, it's called epigenetic therapy. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? And wow. there are trials currently in place. But I'll tell you the challenge. The challenge is you don't want to take all the methyl groups off your DNA because then it, you'll die. Okay. Does a skin cell know that it is a skin cell versus a liver cell? Indeed. It loses that knowledge. So you can't just give blanket treatment to reverse got to, methylation. You've got to drill in. You have to be very particular, and that's the challenge. You need to snip off some of the methyl from some of the cells, not just go through and run the lawnmower over everything. Ah. Yes. So it's Wow. The, it's and we're talking, challenge. again, within millions of billions Basis. of cells. Yes. So it's a holy grail. Oh. I'll tell Good you. luck with that. Oh, well, that's where the mathematicians come in. Yeah. Oh, it's not where the mathematicians, now it's where the molecular biologists and the engineers come in. Engineers? To be able to go into a particular place and remove those methyl groups. Wow. So and that's the future, uh, but it's the holy grail, and I think it's something that, watch this wow. space. Because that would be a cure for cancer, because once you've removed those methyl groups, then when that cell reproduces... It'll reproduce in its healthy form in the way it used to before the whole cancer thing came along. We're going to have to let you go in a couple of seconds, Professor Susan Clark, but if I just can, as a a B-grade mathematician myself, Mm. if we we could just home in on this, because I was interviewing recently Roger Riddell, one of the great Australian scientists, uh, and I asked him in his field, you know, are there enough youngsters coming through? Yes. And he said, look, the, the field's not bad at the moment with young researchers. And he said, completely unsolicited from me, Adam, if I started in my field today, mm-hmm. and he's similar to you, cancer cell research, if I started in my field today, I would do mathematics. Yes. So I'd, 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 I'd do a bit of genetics as well, but the future with all these things mm-hmm. is we now have devices and experiments that produce so much data, mm. it's the ability of people to read through that data and create algorithms and build models and write computer code. Like the, Every non-mathematical scientist needs a mathematician alongside them at the moment in these fields, don't they? Yeah. So in my team, we have half mathematicians yeah! right. and half biologists. But I'll tell you, the best thing for the kids is to study both biology and mathematics. Yeah. And I think it's wonderful to have an understanding of both yeah. because to analyse your own data, you need to have a biological insight. So mm. for our PhD students, we train them in, in the mathematical analysis, yeah. as well as understanding what the biological questions are. I, I think it's going to be in a, mm-hmm. a decade from now, it will be all, not quite compulsory, but a very, very heavily suggested, almost compulsory first year in every science degree mm-hmm. subject will be mathematical modelling data type stuff because it's just becoming so important. Because it gives you 
the universal toolbox inside your brain that once you've got it, you can apply to any problem. Because you see, for me, math- mathematics was your original science. Yes. And we went off and created all the other sciences. And now in this millennium, it's all it's coming, coming back. back to popper. Big bang. Simply because of big data, I guess. Big data. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and understanding patterns. You know, patterns is about the universe, but it's also about biology. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if you've noticed, you're a woman. Really? Are there, are there, <laughs> is your field, are there enough young women taking an interest in this sort of research or is it one of those frustrating scientific areas where beyond a certain part of a career it just goes 95% blokes? No, I'd have to say in this field, um, at least in my laboratory, we have a domination of women. Right. I certainly um, promote it for women. Um, in fact, one of the sayings I have, the genome was always described as the master uh, and I like to think of uh, the epigenome or the methylome as the mistress. Nice. Oh, because boom, boom. we have so many women in this field who are very talented and have certainly taken up the challenge. Well, if you're surrounded day by day with awesome female mm-hmm. mathematicians, I know where I'm going to be hanging out as much as I can <laughs> this year at the Garvin with Professor Susan Clark. Thanks so much for being part of the Sleek Geek podcast today, Susan. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Carl. Thank you for that insight. Three to six hours for a wow. cell to duplicate. I never knew. Cakes.